Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my lovely Bedtwixters. It's me, Kate Lister. I am here to help you listen to this podcast safely because we're all about safety over here. And to make sure that you aren't offended or upset or worried about any of the content that is going to follow, here is your fair dues warning. This is an adult podcast spoken by adults to other adults about a range of adulty subjects in quite an adulty way. And you should be an adult too. Right, now that we've got that little bit out of the way, if you're still here, if you still want to listen, well, don't come crying to us if you get upset because... Fair dues, we did warn you. Picture the scene. You are walking down the street on your way to a restaurant. Whichever restaurant you happen to like the best. Without a care in the world. And then suddenly you turn round the corner and there is a ladder leaning against the wall of a building and going across your path. Do you walk underneath the ladder? Or do you avoid it at all costs? Then you arrive at the restaurant and upon seasoning your food, oh no, you've spilt the salt. Do you take a pinch and toss it over your shoulder? Or do you carry on without even really noticing that you did it? It seems that for all of our modern scientific understanding of the world around us, we still lean on superstitions and rituals to reassure us and bring us comfort. Why is this? What does it tell us about ourselves? Why do we do it? Well, today, betwixt the sheets, we are going to find out. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. (laughs) You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing a button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. If we look back in history to a time when our lives depended on a bountiful harvest, you can understand why someone might touch wood to channel the good fortune of the tree spirits, for example. Or in medieval times, when some people thought that black cats were the embodiment of the devil, you wouldn't have wanted one to have crossed your path. But in 2023, doesn't it seem a bit odd and 
more than a little sad that black cats are still the most likely to be put into animal shelters and crazy that houses with the number 13 on them are worth 3% less than their neighbours. Why do superstitions have such a hold on us? What are the positive as well as the negative impacts that they have on our lives? And why did our ancestors rub the hands of dead people on their babies' faces? Joining me today is Sally Coulthard, author of Superstition, White Rabbits and Black Cats, and she is going to explain all about it. But before we get into the episode, I am here once again to ask you for a little favour. If you are enjoying Betwixt, you could take a couple of seconds before getting into the episode to vote for us at the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards. If you follow the link in the show notes, it'll be done in a couple of seconds and it really will make us so happy. And if you don't, it's terribly bad luck. That's true. I heard that somewhere. Right, let's do this. And welcome to Betwixt the Sheets. It's only Sally Coulthard. How are you doing? I am very well. Very nice to be here. It's really nice to meet you. I am intrigued by your book, Superstition, the History of Common Folk Beliefs. Yeah. This is it's such a, not only a fascinating history, but a fascinating psychology. So the first question is, is what brought you to studying this, that history of folkloric beliefs? So, I mean, my background is anthropology and archaeology. Well, that'll do it. Which will do it, which, which are both <laughs> interested in, in kind of human culture and, and how people have negotiated their way through landscapes and society. I'm deeply interested in people and particularly how historically people have kind of coped with different problems or related to their environment, that kind of thing, over the centuries. Because I find that rather than us being particularly modern and people in the past being very different from us, actually you find that the kind of same key theme come up again and again. I kind of find reassuring and incredible at the same time. I do too. And yeah, when I knew that I was going to interview you, I was thinking, superstitious, I'm not a superstitious person. And then I started to think about it and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I do salute magpies and I do say touch wood with random stuff. And I do have like little weird checks and things. Is that what we're talking about here when you say superstitions? Definitely. And it's kind of those little kind of bits of ritual behaviour. Ritual behaviour. Which you think that I'm a rational person. I consider myself to be, you know, I'm an atheist. I believe in science. Same. And still, compulsively, I touch wood. Yeah, what is that? I know. What I realised when I started to research the book, you know, there are some kind of key ideas that come out with superstitions that are often to do with people feeling out of control and that they want some kind of agency in their life. Sometimes there's there's a bit of humility behind superstition. So, you know, it's the idea that you're not going to kind of tempt fate or get too ahead of yourself. So things like, you know, when you say, I'm really going to do this, I'm really going to win this competition. No one kind of does that because you don't want to, we call it tempting fate. Yeah, jinxing it. Exactly, jinxing it as if somehow by we're kind of overreaching ourselves and we're tempting the spiritual world or whoever's out there. That is what it is, isn't it? That is that is what it means when you say jinx. That's like literally a hex that you've put on something. Exactly. And I find that interesting because 
in a funny way, superstitious beliefs, they sit somewhere between kind of religious thinking and scientific thinking. Yeah. In a sense that scientific thinking comes from a place of feeling like, you know, humans know everything, we're in control of everything, and that things are predictable and measurable and, and that kind of stuff. And then religious thinking puts control in the hand of mm. a deity, for instance. And we just must do things that please that deity or, you know, we live a life according to another rule. Whereas superstition kind of sits in that kind of grey area in between mm. where you believe in outside forces, but fundamentally you might have some control over that. So by crossing your fingers or, you know, saying a little prayer when you see a magpie, you feel like you have some kind of control or some agency, which I find kind of appealing because for most of the lives we feel quite out of control. That makes sense. It's such a weird part of the human psychology trying to like work out where it fits because I'm very glad to hear that you say it's not quite religious, but it's not quite scientific, but it's somewhere in amongst this, this kind of ritualized behavior that all of us have of like almost like well I don't want to tempt fate somehow yeah the touching wood thing do you like do it when you think of things in your head as well and then you have to touch wood or is that just me it's not when I'm thinking in my head yeah right okay yeah I don't do that either yeah I do it when I say things out loud that I then think oh actually it's always about something that's going to happen in the future yeah and you sort of think to yourself, oh, well, I'd really like that to happen, but I'm just going to give myself that little extra chance. It's basically saying, God willing, I'm going to be here, yep. you know, to actually experience the thing that's going to happen. It's a sort of little prayer of hope, really, in a way that nothing's going to come and get in the way before that event. Is it kind of like an OCD thing, like some of this stuff? Like the way that OCD is kind of compulsive ritualistic and it's about trying to get a control that perhaps our superstitions are playing with that as well that's such an interesting idea from the outside it seems like ocd is possibly the kind of extreme end of the spectrum of superstitious behavior especially as it relates to control mm. from what i understand about ocd it's about you touch this thing a certain amount of times and by doing that you've regained some kind of control over what's going to happen. It'd be interesting to find out if the kind of people that have obsessive compulsive behaviours are similar kinds of people that are particularly kind of superstitious. I'm sure there's probably some kind of crossover. Obviously, kind of OCD takes that into the area of sort of mental health problems and things, whereas superstition is a kind of more generalised, just sort of daily behaviour, really. I wouldn't think that it was OCD when I'm saluting magpies, but then when you actually break that down, Kate, why are you waving at birds? Because you think that that might, you know, make your day more lucky. I've never tried to not do it. I suppose that would be the test, is how do I feel if I don't do it? Do I feel really anxious? Yeah, exactly. And anxiety is one of the key kind of emotions related to superstitions. When people have done research studies about the kind of people that are most likely to be superstitious, they tend to have two key characteristics. One is that they're control freaks. And the second is that they're worriers. That makes sense. I include myself in that, despite (laughs) the fact that I'm not massively superstitious but I engage in superstitious behaviour. And I would definitely say I'm a worrier and I definitely say I'm a control freak. So that kind of fits for me with the kind of personality of people that tend to kind of believe in those sorts of things. I mean, we're all worriers. We are. To a greater or lesser extent, so. Is there anybody who's like out there raw dogging it, not saluting magpies, not being careful they don't walk under landers? Anyone at all who just doesn't have any of this stuff, who's just taking on life? There are (laughs) loads. 
loads of sane, rational people <laughs> who live perfectly happy lives without engaging in superstitions. And there are groups of people who tend to engage in superstitious behavior as well. And it tends to be people who are either going through extreme phases in their lives or who feel like they don't have as much control in their lives or access to what people might call formal power. So that's yeah. people like young people, children, women, Ooh. soldiers. Soldiers. Historically, soldiers have been very superstitious. Sailors, people who are at the kind of mercy of either other people's decisions or, you know, larger power structures, that kind of thing. I think that's really interesting because it's a kind of human that response. Is. It's a very human response to feeling worried and scared about the things that are going to happen to you. I'd have been superstitious if I was a soldier in the First World War. You know, I'd have carried a pocket full of God, yeah. charms. I think I have seen in the Science Museum, they've got a collection of charms of soldiers in the First World War of like lucky charms and pendants and things that they were carrying around yeah. the trenches. Yeah. You could buy them. That's crazy. People made a, a tidy profit out of selling little trinkets. You know, there were sometimes little babies or, or little shamrocks or bullets. I mean, you know, it's like the Baldrick joke from Blackadder where about having your name on the bullet so you, you couldn't get shot by the bullet with your name on it. But yeah, there was a tidy trade in good luck charms for First World War soldiers because it was so bloody terrifying, wow. you know, facing almost certain death. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Completely. But, you know, I was reading the other day about Roman soldiers. They used to have a superstition ready to go into battle. And if one of your colleagues sneezed on the right of you, it was a brilliant sign that, you know, the battle was going to go well. But if someone sneezed on the left, it was curtains. And you think, oh, my God, you know, can you imagine the kind of tension just before you're about to go into battle? Yeah, the pressure and all these funny little omens and, and signs that people were looking for that just to kind of give you the edge. Do you know, I've just thought as well, like if there are people listening to this going, I'm not superstitious, okay, I don't believe in any of that. I've just thought of another group of people who engage in incredibly superstitious behaviour, sports fans. So many friends that say things like, I've got to wear my lucky shirt or uh, my team yeah. only win if I'm wearing these socks or like that kind of thing. So true. And sports players as well are yes. often deeply superstitious. You know, we were, my husband and I, watching Wimbledon the other day, and, you know, so many players bounced the balls a certain number of times. Was it Rafael Nadal? It was almost a tick that he would do before every serve, where it was, wow. you know, touch both ears, touch, you know, and this kind of stuff. But it had to be done. Didn't you know, know otherwise, if you, did, if you don't do it, you're not going to perform. And so it gives you that little extra oomph. But you're absolutely right about people wearing lucky shirts for their teams, as if just it might just push them over the edge and, you know, give them that extra good luck. Yeah. It's control again, isn't it? Is you can't control it, but you've kind of got it into your head that maybe if I did this, then somehow it's like a talisman. Yeah, definitely. And in a funny way, it kind of takes superstitions do another useful thing, which is they kind of take blame away from the individual. Ooh. If you believe in superstitions that there are forces beyond the world that are kind of controlling your life or that have an influence on your life if something goes wrong it's not really your fault it's because oh I like that decided it or maybe someone didn't wish you good luck or that or you, you know you didn't have the right pair of pants on that day that kind of thing it's not because of <laughs> it's not because you did something wrong it's because the charm didn't work or the pants gods failed you the gods of the lucky pants <laughs> let you down exactly they failed you <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, actually thinking about it, like crossing your fingers, that's a superstition as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. 
And that's an interesting one because that's where superstition meets religion. The idea of crossing your fingers, people think, comes from very early Christianity. So when Christianity first came out as a faith, it was a secret faith because you weren't allowed to practice it because if you did, you'd be persecuted. I mean, this is, you know, just after the time of Jesus, uh, you know, in the Mm. first kind of first few centuries AD. It was like being part of a secret club. And so Mm. to make the sign that you were part of this club, if you met someone, a fellow Christian, you'd cross your fingers because it made the sign of the cross. But weirdly... Crossing your fingers, you also, you don't just do it kind of like, oh, fingers crossed, good luck. You do mm. fingers crossed when you're telling a fib. I hadn't thought of that one. You do. Which is a kind of strange contradiction that one <laughs> gesture can mean two things. And apparently that comes from the idea, early Christians, when they were challenged by the Roman authorities, whether they were Christian or not, they had to tell a lie and say, they had to turn, denounce their faith and say, no, 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 I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christian all the while crossing their fingers behind their backs. So they were kind of asking for divine forgiveness by crossing their fingers and but hiding it. And so I think that's a really interesting way in which one gesture has two meanings depending on how it's used. Wow. And it's linked to kind of faith and religion and, and the idea that early religious people didn't have a problem with using superstitious behaviours in a way that later on in history, religion and superstition, you know, knocked heads and and started to become competing ideas. Interesting. I'll be back with Sally after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hi, it's Dan Snow here from Dan Snow's History Hit podcast. So we've got a massive conventional war on the European mainland, and there are ever more signs of climate breakdown. If you're trying to make sense of all the wild things we're living through, my podcast, Dan Snow's History Hit, is here to help. Our expert historians, thinkers and storytellers unravel the history behind the headlines so you can navigate the news with confidence and clarity. Dan Snow's History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Do we have any idea where touching wood comes from? I'm just fascinated by that one because that's definitely one that I do. Yeah. So as with all these kind of folk traditions, it's quite difficult to unpick a fact from analysis. And a lot of what we know about, say, for instance, Celtic culture comes from sources that were written a long time after the fact. However, that said, generally speaking, lots of different cultures pre-Christianity kind of Christianity, that had a type of religion called animism, which is where objects, including things in nature, have spirits. So everything has a spirit. So the river has a spirit, you know, the clouds have a spirit, all that kind of thing. And trees had spirits. And that this would have come from the fact that also people who lived so closely connected with their landscape would have relied on trees for so many things. So, you know, not only, you know, timber and food, but also, you know, medicines and poisons and that kind of thing. And certain trees became much more symbolic than others. So, for instance, in kind of Western folklore, trees like the yew are Mm. really sacred and important because not only are they deeply poisonous most parts of the yew tree are really poisonous and we have been used historically for lots of different things but also yew trees live spectacularly long time hundreds and hundreds of years i mean the oldest yew we think at the moment is about one and a half thousand years old and that's in this holy shit i know it's amazing they are so long lived wow so cultures would would then see these trees and think wow this isn't only a tree that's really potent but it's also everlasting and so the idea of kind of longevity, immortality, something that, that obviously has very special powers would be incredibly important to a community. And if something is that important to a culture, a lot of the time it has to be shown appreciation. Mm. And that's often in the form of sacrifice or rituals surrounding it. So, for instance, the Vikings had traditions to do with worshipping trees, which involved sacrificing various creatures in a certain kind of ritualistic and certain times of the year. Even up until kind of 19th century in, in this country, we believe in wood fairies and wood sprites and things. And even the word druid, we think, comes from drew, which means tree, and wid, which means to know. And so druids were people wow. who, who had a very special relationship with trees. Sorry, that's a very long-winded way of saying touching trees is about plugging into that power. So plugging into that that energy and that kind of otherworldly power that that, that people thought resided in trees. Interestingly, different cultures touch different things. Okay. So the Italians don't touch wood. They touch iron. Instead, they say toccafera, which means touch iron. And for them, that does the same thing. You know, you can go, oh, touch wood. They touch iron for good luck. I just find that, you know, interesting that the same idea is expressed 
in a different way in different different, different places different cultures. yeah i'm sure that i either read or i saw it on a documentary uh, and it was about this very thing and it was about superstitions and, it, and they were making the case that everyone has a base level of superstition and they did an experiment where they got a group of scientists so very very logical rational scientific people and then they gave each of them a photograph of a loved one someone that they really really loved and then the uh, all they were asked to do was tear the photograph up <gasps> tear it up into little pieces oh, and none no. of them and none of them could do it what a brilliant experiment is like that just, they, they just couldn't rationally they all knew that nothing is going to happen to their loved one if they but they couldn't do it and i don't think i could do it that's so interesting. I wonder what's behind that, that it's not just a kind of intellectual idea that you're tearing up no. a representation of someone you really love. So why would you do it? It was like the fear that something would happen to them. You might be hurting them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how bad would you feel? Like, you know, if you'd torn the picture of your, your husband up and then you got home and you'd had an accident or something. Like, yeah, But you yeah. just, like, they just couldn't do it. And I don't think I could do it, which is weird. No, I don't. And funnily enough, I don't know if this rings a bell, but uh, so I've got three kids and they're all different ages. I've had a lot of teeth over the years, like, you know, like teeth that have fallen out, fallen out. I can't throw them away. I keep. Can't, yeah. And because I cannot possibly put a tooth in the bin because it's a part of my, a part of my child. Isn't that interesting? Oh, what the hell am I going to, you know, what, what am I going to do with a, with a tin full of teeth? It's really, it's slightly <laughs> kind of creepy. And I don't keep their nail clippings <laughs> and things, but I've kept bits of their hair. I've kept little shoes that they've worn. I've, you know, they're all things that are, that they've kind of either have come from them or they've worn children's shoes, especially if they mould to the foot of the child. And so yeah. I keep them because it's not just a shoe. It's like a little kind of representation of a stage in their childhood. I think a lot of people do that. I think actually loads of people do that. I think most people do that. And again, it's that thing of like, if you try and break it down, be like, well, what is it that I'm scared of? Because I don't have a formalised belief system. I don't actually believe in this stuff. But like, what? Do I actually subconsciously have a belief in spirits? It's a weird mm. thing, isn't it? Of I think everyone's got that. And I wonder, you know, what you were saying in your documentary about ripping up the photograph. You do wonder if it's a kind of essential part of who we are that's yeah. really, really ancient, that's really, really primeval that we believe in something beyond what we can see. Like, it's a just-in-case, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but just on the off chance. Definitely. Most cultures seem to have superstitious behaviours, yeah. which would suggest that it's a, a universal behaviour and a universal kind of phenomenon, and that it's a response to daily experiences that we all experience, like death, bad luck, illness bad weather, crop harvests going wrong, you know, injury, all the things that we want to kind of mm. avoid. We have these little kind of just things that maybe might just tip the balance in our favour. I want to take you back to what you mentioned a little bit earlier when you said about how the church and superstition, like the early church, they kind of butted heads because that's mm. a really interesting development because, and I know that there'll be plenty of people of faith listening to this but there could be an argument to be made that like entire organized religion is just like ocd gone mad like the whole thing is like formalized rituals and there's so much of these superstitious things in religious faith that you have to go and you have to say these things and you have to worship like this da, 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 da. so how does it get to the point with the christian church where they're going our stuff is okay mm -hmm. the things that we think that you should do to avoid getting in trouble and be okay is fine but all of this stuff 
isn't. Like, that seems to be a real state of cognitive dissidence to me. Yeah, so definitely. And it relates to kind of wider ideas about magical thinking and witchcraft. So for a long time, you know, Christianity emerged obviously at the beginning of, well, 2000 years ago. And for quite a long time, it sat, kind of sat uneasily, but it sat next to other belief systems. And it didn't really kind of vie for ultimate control. And then you see kind of slowly emerging sort of early medieval period. So you're talking kind of 10th century onwards, an idea that power should be centralised and that Mm. Christianity can be the only one true faith. And it's probably more linked to money and control and that kind of thing, which was all part of a bigger political system than a kind of spiritual idea. But basically the end result is that Christianity was vying for the same business as it was a superstition and so it didn't want people coming to church and doing one thing but then going somewhere else and doing other things so it wanted to be exclusive yeah it became apparent that well certainly the church didn't want you to be superstitious however most people ignored that so right up until well even now it isn't necessarily difficult for people to be deeply religious and superstitious and superstitious yeah and so there's been lots of studies a u.s study where most people who declare themselves to be superstitious are also religious or certainly believe in the christian church and i find that really interesting because you think well those two doctrines are completely different Mm. it's almost like buying a lottery ticket and also you know doing something else that would bring you good luck it's kind of hedging your bets and you see evidence of that in you know fascinating places like um, I've done a bit of research on witches marks, which are ritual carvings that that you find. I was just all... about to ask you about witches bottles. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Segwayed perfectly. Oh, well, Tell me about yeah. witches marks. So witches marks are everywhere actually, but often brilliantly hidden, and they're carvings that people made predominantly from sort of 14th century up to the middle of the 19th century that people carved into timber and plaster and stone and that kind of thing and they're they're like little they're like little prayers basically they're visual prayers so they're usually we've got one in the barn I've got a few actually in the barn here on the farm and we have daisy wheels which are designed to be a pattern that would capture Mm. evil spirits but you find them in churches you find a lot in churches where people have obviously been sitting on pews listening to sermons and then going you know and, and scratching away on the side of a pew or on a column during a sermon they're praying to god and praying to superstition at the same time so that people obviously didn't feel like it was an issue believing no. in god and you've got like really early churches that often have those little grotesque carvings that the Sheelana gigs, which are these, for anyone's listening, they're like they're often above the church door and they're like female forms, but grotesque. Mm. And they're often holding their legs open and they've got this massive exposed vulva. And yeah. that's like a weird, why are you on a church? Like obviously put there quite deliberately as well. Yeah. And I think that's something to do with the early church having to adopt earlier symbols. So it's easier to kind of bring a crowd along if you use some of their motifs and their cultural things. And so you find often with, I've just been doing some research about why churches are where they are in villages. And often they're cited on places that were historically important to previous cultures. So they kind of, usurped isn't the right word because that sounds like it was deliberately kind of deceptive, but they're often built on places of sacred significance and used, like you talk about, symbols and signs and motifs and 
and things that people would have gone, oh, I recognise that. That's part of my culture. So this must be part of my culture too. Yeah, yeah. Just because I mentioned witches' bottles, we should explain what they are. There's been like a few found all over the place and they tend to be like buried at the back of fireplaces or in the ground or in walls of very old houses. And they're bottles that are filled with all kinds of mad crap, often Mm. urine, nails, bits of leather. And they're supposed to be there. Is it to keep witches away? Is that what they're there for? Well, two types, it seems. One is for that reason that it's a kind of, people often put pins in them and nails that were supposed to hurt the witch especially if they were made from iron because we were talking about iron being touch iron yeah yeah because iron's quite um, powerful as always historically being a powerful material urine it's a kind of essence of the person who is trying to scare the witch off or there are also bits of hair that kind of stuff Mm. so sometimes they were designed to deter a witch or they were designed to entice a witch to then be trapped in the bottle so sometimes Ah. Because there's one in the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, which is amazing and has lots of kind of these weird and quirky things. They have some witches' bottles which claim to contain the spirit of a witch, so you mustn't open it. No, don't fucking open that. <laughs> but, like, why have I said that? I don't believe in witches. Why have I just... <laughs> I mean, even kind of academics are really superstitious about it. And they, were, they actually opened one recently as part of a conference. And people were quite uncomfortable about it. Because they were sort of thinking, ooh, what are we going to unleash here? And it still holds a lot of weight, those kind of fears. Yeah. It's often kind of bits of hair and fingernails and things that could hurt the witch, like sharp objects. Things that you, you're talking about, things stuffed stuffed up fireplaces and into walls and stuff. But they a similar thing is we live in a farming community, and it's not until that long ago that people would, if your herd came down with something horrendous, um, you know, it would have been foot and mouth or, but they didn't know what it was in those days. You would take the heart of one of the animals and Ooh. stick lots of pins and nails into it, and then bury it and hide it in the chimney or hide it somewhere significant in a threshold. You usually put it where they think evil spirits come and go from buildings. So it's often like doorways, windows, you know, that kind of stuff. And the idea was that it would deter the witch from coming back or it would break the spell or that kind of thing. It would cause the witch pain. She would leave you alone. I love all that kind of stuff. It's so barkingly mad. It is, isn't it? Don't go giving witches' bottles to people as a housewarming present because (laughs) it's... it's... (laughs) <laughs> you can't just be be peeing in a bottle and putting a load of yeah, nails yeah. in it. No one wants that. I as know, a I know. You're so right. Just bring a bottle of wine. It's much easier. <laughs> um, let's sort of bring it right up to the modern day because I think I take a lot of comfort from what you're saying of like this has always been around, like most people have this, there's something quite familiar about it. But is there a sort of a darker side to this superstitious element of ourselves that like it plays out? in our lives it's not always that helpful to have this stuff yeah yeah I totally agree with you and I think one of the problems with superstitions is that it affects real world decisions that Mm. you make and not always for the better like the number 13 yeah exactly if you live in a house that's the number 13 statistically it's worth less than a house with a different number no way. Or that lawyers and estate agents find that people won't complete a conveyancing, you know, buy a house basically on the 13th of only month. People deliberately avoid contracts and legal things and major purchases on the 13th day, wow. which it seems extraordinary when it's one of the biggest financial decisions you'll ever make and yeah. you're letting superstition guide you. 
but also things sort of sad things like so black cats are the ones that are most likely to end up in animal shelters yeah and most most likely to be the subject of cruelty which is so upsetting and there are there are kind of residual ways that we view animals i'd write a lot about animals and wildlife and and how some of our attitudes to wildlife are shaped by sort of ancient superstitions so for instance traditionally we've been quite unkind to animals like toads because yes. we, because we associate them with witchcraft yeah. and bad omens and, and that kind of thing and they're now a, a species in trouble but it's quite difficult to get people engaged about caring about toads yes. when so many of them don't like them you know there is a, a truly dark side of superstitious thinking especially when it relates to witchcraft and ideas about witchcraft which are still prevalent across the world it's not the kind of you know the positive kind of wicker style of witchcraft that we're talking about people who you know genuinely believe in devil possessions and it's across the globe I was reading a statistic the other day that something like over 40 percent of Americans believe that the devil genuinely exists and you think that's quite a high percentage of people who believe that there is genuinely Satan. <laughs> yeah, then, that there's actually a big red fella right uh, underneath your feet. Exactly. I'm just getting back to kind of negative things, even on a sort of less serious level. But often just believing in superstition counteracts rational decisions and rational ideas about things. So you might gamble a bit more than you should do. Right. Or you might take a few more risks unhelpful risks or uncalculated risks than you might do all of which have negative you know negative effect there's no coincidence that most gamblers are also deeply superstitious people and often you know they don't win so I find that kind of interesting there's definitely a dark side to the sort of superstitious belief but try eradicating it I just I, I don't think it'll happen it seems to be very very easy to provoke in people as well like people just never want to take the chance like the witch's bottles and a room full of academics who just didn't want to open it it's like it's very easy to provoke that odd irrational fear in people about stuff definitely and especially when it relates to things that you really love like your family and or things that you really value what do you think is the future of superstition i mean as we're becoming more and more scientifically aware and as you know scientific i mean maybe science is in some ways a type of talisman that we wave around to have some control over things but do you think that we're gonna get less superstitious i mean will people still be throwing salt over their shoulders not walking under ladders in 300 years time that's such a great question I, part of someone who believes in rational progress you'd hope that that was the case but mm. evidence pretty much suggests the opposite i mean it's no coincidence that in the last 10 years which have been particularly chaotic in terms of the True. economy climate you know covid all that kind of thing, belief in magical thinking of which superstition is a part is massive and is only getting bigger basically wherever there's chaos and worry and anxiety superstition rears its head again and again and and that's Mm. a kind of human condition so I don't think you'd ever get rid of it you know speaking of someone who constantly touches wood so (laughs) yes (laughs) what do you think are the good things about it are there positives for this or is this just kind of like a leftover legacy from when we just really didn't know what the hell was going on like are there good things to it yeah I think so I've thought a lot about this and so you have to kind of sort of think you know we started off talking about the kind of psychology of it all and and what people get psychologically out of superstition and I think there are a lot of kind of proven benefits or proven reasons why people do it so Mm. for instance there's lots of studies about 
and when people have lucky charms or lucky underpants and that kind of thing we were talking about, you know, amulets, basically, people feel less anxious, which gives them an improved performance. Okay. Say, for instance, you're going for a job interview, you wear your lucky pants, you're feeling less anxious, you'll probably perform better. Makes sense. The flip side of that is obviously if you forget your pants <laughs> and then you'll do worse. I think there are also kind of, it's a feeling of sort of agency about your life and that you know you have some level of control that's got to be a bit of a mood booster Mm. and got to make you feel like you're not a cock bobbing around in the sea you know you've got some kind of power power yeah it's about power really and it's about trying to wrestle back some kind of power when you feel powerless so my final question is when you were researching your book in the history of folkloric beliefs I'm going to imagine that these beliefs change and shift and things exist and then they don't exist for again. And people come up with their own weird talismans as well <laughs> and rituals that they do. Did you find like really weird ones in the course of your research? Oh, God. I mean, there are some really gruesome ones. And one springs to mind called Dead Man's Hand, which thankfully we don't do anymore. But in the days of hanging and capital punishment people thought that the moment that people died or the moment that a a criminal died was a very particularly potent moment in the spiritual realm it's what because their soul was leaving and people would often at that very moment where someone dropped on the gallows or just after it happened babies or people with illnesses or especially kind of facial disfigurements would grab the hand of the the dead hand of the person oh. and lay it on them. And you read accounts of people kind of in the crowd, because obviously, I mean, people went to went to hangings as a good day out, you know, and but people would bring along sickly babies and they'd pass them up to the executioner. Holy and shit. the executioner would kind of grab the hand of the, of the hanging person and kind of rub it on the baby to give them good luck. Or, or people with kind of massive sort of tumours on their face would come and, and, and kind of go... Uh, uh, and, <laughs> On the, and you still think, oh, but in an age when medicine was so shockingly mm. bad or, or dangerous or expensive, you kind of think, well, if you think that's going to give you a half a shot, <laughs> I'd probably do. I'd probably do the same. <laughs> well, yeah, let's not revive that one for many, <laughs> <laughs> for many, yeah. many reasons. Oh, <laughs> Sally, you have been so much fun to talk to today. Oh. Thank you, Kate. You too. People want to know more about you and your work. Where can they find you? So they can find me on my website, which is sallycoolfard.co.uk, or I'm on Instagram, which is at salcoolfard, or just I've got endless books <laughs> written way too many, which you can find in all good bookshops. Oh. Um, and I write about folklore and history and animals and country life and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much. You've been You're really welcome. You've been wonderful to talk to. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Sally for joining me. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you'd like us to explore a subject or if you just fancy dropping by to say hi, you can email us at betwixt at historyhit.com. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast was edited by Siobhan Dale and produced by Stuart Beckwith. The senior producer was Charlotte Long. 
podcast contains music from Epidemic Sound. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.